0: Welcome to Word of Truth, this is Doug Presley, it is uh, 6-4-2023 and we're ready to begin or continue our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer.
1: Okay, and here we have the thought of the week. Grace stands as a mediator between God's love and justice. I'm just going to pause and ask Doug to mute his mic. Okay, thank you. Uh, Grace stands as the mediator between God's love and justice. Love has within it God's motivation to accomplish his eternal plan. Justice demands that God do so according to the highest standard of righteousness with absolutely no possibility of compromise. We can learn a valuable lesson here from God's own internal work. Achieving goals is certainly important. Grace teaches us how we achieve them is also important. We must also learn to pursue our goals with the highest standard of righteousness and justice in the same way God does. Grace embodies love's highest motivations and desires, while at the same time demanding that justice be completely satisfied before it is bestowed. In grace, God finds ways to display his love upon us without the slightest regard of compromising his integrity. Grace presents a perfect balance in what is important to God. The collaboration grace brings brings is perfectly seen here from Romans eight, chapter, 4, chapter eight, verse thirty-two, is this: He who is not, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Love's desire is met graciously, but not without tremendous sacrifice, which also satisfies divine justice. Grace is God's way to bring salvation and a sure method for God to accomplish his eternal purposes ultimately. Even though the Apostle Paul felt inadequate because of his past opposition to Christ, his testimony was, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ from Ephesians chapter three, verse eight. And the conclusion is, grace is the wisdom of God. And that is the thought of the week. I'd like to offer a little commentary on that. What an important topic. It's probably one of the most single, most important words to understand and really comprehend from God's perspective of grace. A lot of people just say, oh, it's an undeserved, um, the thing that we receive, a benefit that we receive, but it's more than that. It's God's way of saying there is no compromise whatsoever on my standard of righteousness, and yet I'm giving this to you freely. If he had to depend on our works in order for us to be saved, it would not be according to the highest standard of righteousness. It would be dependent on whatever righteousness an individual brings. But we know from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not our works, but it's His. And His work is finished in regard to our salvation. The door couldn't be easier to open. The hinges are well-lubricated. Doors of not squeak at all. And we are invited into this grace which is um, God's grace and God's highest standards of grace for us. And that is my comment, and I turn it over to Bill for prayer. Thank you. Thank
2: you, Dwight. At this time, uh, anyone that stands in the need of prayer or know someone that's in need of prayer, can we do so at this present time.
0: Uh, Bill, you, you know all the health challenges my family is having, so... I'm going to ask you to pray for um, all of us. Uh, if you would, please, thank you.
2: Thank you. I to pray for my family, family, family as well. This is life. Okay, Dwight. Well, all right, if we can bow our heads forward a prayer. Dear you Lord, know, we come before you once again, our Father. Surely, we thank you for the study of grace, for sure, at this present time, your grace is needed, O oh Lord. Father God, you know all the things that we're going through. We want to pray for the families of the deceased. We want to pray for the pastor and his uh, niece, his nephew, brother-in-law. You know, we pray for Dwight, O oh Lord. We pray for all of the word true church. But so Father, we pray that our faithfulness shows forth your grace, O oh Lord. And surely, we stand in the need of... Your saving grace, as well as your grace that sufficiently supplies all our needs. The Lord, we want to thank you that we have such a great salvation. We want to thank you that we have such a great privilege and honor that we can trust and depend and rely on your faithfulness, O Lord. We truly look forward to you bringing us all that we need to go through these struggling times, O Lord. We also want to pray for traveling mercies, O Lord, for we have family members who are traveling those going to and fro. So we want to pray, Lord, that when we open our mouths to the world, that they may hear, that the Spirit may prepare them for the words that come out of our mouths, that is so that you have so generously given to us, oh Lord, that we may set apart the the things of this world, that they may come to the saving knowledge of your Son Jesus Christ. For surely we have
0: this and all message in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank, Amen. You. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dave and uh, not Dave, but Dwight and Bill. We appreciate that and both the comments and thoughts. We are headed right into where we were last week. <clears throat> you have notes, so we'll get us started. I just want to read the context of Galatians 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas took Titus also along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter, was also uh, as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is where we are. Uh, Whether we get to the end of 14 or not, but that is where we are. We got some notes that we want to jump right into Galatians 2 and 13. So we're going to start with, this is the verse, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So point A was the other Jews. So Peter's behavior triggered the religious response from those with the Jewish culture. Remember Acts 7.51, remember they had developed a culture of resisting the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts 7.51 says. You do always resist the Holy Spirit just as your forefathers did, so do you. So in other words, there was a pattern, a generational pattern of resisting the Holy Spirit among the Jews. So they developed a culture around resistance so that even when Christ walked in front of them, they did not recognize him and they eventually rejected him. So keep in mind, whatever when we talk about the Jewish culture and Jewish traditions and all of that, now that we are not under the Jewish law or the Mosaic law, we, we never were. We, as those of the Gentile culture, should know that their use and uh, view of the Mosaic law was wrong. They did not have what the true Mosaic law was all about. So what is being forced upon us, let's just say in the early church, because obviously it's still going on today to some degree, but in that early church, what was being forced upon us was not true Mosaic law. In the first place, it was false. It was based on a culture of rejecting the Holy Spirit. So, if people today who think, you know, who, let's say, I believe in Christ, but they like, well, you know, we got to follow some Jewish custom. What the Jewish customs that they are trying to obey are not true Jewish worship of the Mosaic Law because we see the record of those who were um, doing their best to follow the Mosaic Law, they were not following the Mosaic Law because they were resisting God the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts 7.51 and 2. Point B, let's keep going. we got a lot more to cover. <clears throat> we can already see Peter's impact on the other Jews because they joined him. See, Peter wasn't just somebody who decided that he was going to have fear and cave into fear when uh, his cultural Jewish uh, people came walking in uh, at Antioch. Peter had impact because he was a leader. He, they knew that Peter walked with Jesus. They respected Peter's judgment. They respect, They watched him carefully and to see how... You know, he behaved. What were his mannerisms? Here's somebody who had been with Jesus. That's significant. And if we, if you had just, look at when Moses, he was revered in this way, right? So when Moses came down from the mountain, there was a light from being in the presence of God that was on his face. So much so that people noticed it and they were frightened. So, They said, but Moses, you should put a veil over your face because people are afraid. They're seeing this light coming from you, this eminence of radiant eminence coming from your face, and people are afraid of you. So Moses put a veil over his face so that people couldn't see the glory, even though as he left the presence of God, that glory was fading away. So people were looking at Moses, they were watching him, whatever Moses said, they knew Moses was in the presence of God. Well, Peter was in the presence of Jesus. He walked with him. He talked with him. He, He was taught by him. So he was a leader and he was an apostle, as we all know. He was somebody of note. So we had some disruption within the leadership of the church. Who was the leadership? Apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That's the foundation of the church. We had some dissension among them. We don't know about all of them, but notice, look, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy because they knew better. That's what what that means, hypocrisy. We'll get to that word in a second. They knew better. So it's interesting that Peter didn't see that he was a leader and his actions could cause others to stumble. So that's important to note. It says the other Jews. So Peter wasn't the only one at fault. Peter wasn't the only one who had problems with the fear of these religious people, people who were trying to vie for the Mosaic law. Peter wasn't the only one. But Peter is called out because he was a leader. And if he would behave in a certain way, others would follow him. He had influence over others because they respected him as a leader. So just know that. Point C, hypocrisy. So you have the Greek word there. It means acting under a feigned part. That is, figuratively, deceit. Because really, it is deceit. Because if you're one way on the inside, but you're trying to portray something else or other on the outside, it is deceit. You're You're deceiving people for what's really on the inside. But guess what we know? Hypocrisy doesn't fly with God. You may be able to fool me, because I can't see what's on the inside, but you can't fool God. God knows what's on us. We may look at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. So hypocrisy doesn't make any sense when it comes to God. That is if we respect who God is and all of that, right? So it's deceit, hypocrisy, condemnation, dissimulation, hypocrisy. This is from Strong. These are definitions from strong. Point D. So, hypocrisy is an actor playing a role. Ancient actors used masks to tell the audience about their role, whether they were happy, sad, crying, laughing, or mad, right? There was, you know, <laughs> so we talked about this, on, I think, on Wednesday, but if you look at the etymology of that Greek word, it goes back to the ancient Greek plays. They, yes, had entertainment, They would go to theater just like we did, uh, or do, and and they were entertained on stage by actors who were acting out certain plays. So as I said, they don't have uh, proper means to project their voice. There was no sound system. They did not have microphones in the ancient world. So what did they do? They shouted as loud as they could. And for people who were sitting in the nosebleed seats, they had masks that they would wear. These masks were huge. You could see them from a long distance. So if, if the actor would, had a happy part where he was laughing and hilarious, he would put that mask up where the person was just laughing. And If he was sad, he would put the sad face up. If he was mad, he would put the angry face up. You know, Whatever it was... That's how this word came to mean uh, hypocrisy, because it was an actor playing a role. Right? Well, what was really in the actor's heart? Well, it could be whatever, but he, what, he, we, what he wanted to portray on the outside was masked. and he, So he had one thing on the outside, and he, he, whatever he had on the inside was what it was. That's what the word came to mean like an actor playing a role well for us it's like well we understand the truth of God let's say in Peter's case he understood that they weren't under the law we already demonstrated that previous Peter understood he wasn't fooled he just was afraid of the authority that these religious people still held over him to why was Peter afraid of them? Because they had the air of religiosity and, you know, the Mosaic law. And those things were tugging at the fact that Peter had a culture that was in line with those things. That's what he used to do. That's how he behaved for years and years in his whole life. So this new age, the church age, Peter's mind, we have to say, was not fully transformed. Even though he had the will, he understanding and the knowledge, he didn't have the will to carry it out. Not yet. Not yet. So we can't look at Peter as bad, because he recovered. And we all make mistakes, and we all give in to fear. This is not something that's special in Peter's case. So so hypocrisy is an actor playing a role. Ancient actors used masks to tell the audience about their role, whether it's happy, sad, crying, mad, whatever it was. Point E, what role were Peter and the others playing? What role? That they were under the Mosaic law. And if we look at verse 14, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. right? The truth of the gospel is... No man could be justified by the works of the law. No person. But yet, that was what Peter's culture, that was uh, not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, taught him that you had to be justified by the works of the law. And the fact that we Jews are special. Because we have the law and Gentiles don't. Well, they're Gentile sinners, they're dogs, they're all that, so we don't have to, we shouldn't associate with them because they are unclean. And this is how Jews looked at Gentiles. Well, Gentiles. Certainly. I mean, the Gentiles probably just looked around at Peter as he caved into fear and they wondered what was going on. They weren't caving into any fear of these circumcision group people. They weren't caving into any fear. They weren't worried about that. It was because the Jewish culture, that's why it says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Not the other Gentiles. Well, why would they? That would be silly for the Gentiles because well, they're the ones that the Jews hated. But all of that is supposed to be over in the church age. But you can see. So don't get, don't be surprised if you see this type of thing going on in the church today. Racism or some sort of uh, distinctions that are made. Rich or poor. Uh, what race you belong to. What, what, what social status you have. all those things don't be surprised if you see those things in the church today you saw them in the early church and because there are problems in the church does not mean the church is bad but there's problems in the foundation in the teachings the problem is in those who adopt those teachings we still have free will we still do and so we can still fail because we could give in to fear, we could give in to whatever influence comes along. It's possible. So what role were they playing? Well, they, they were playing, those circumcision group folks were trying to tell people that this new age where God the Father, which is part of his eternal plan, they were, they were trying to undermine that plan. They were saying, no, we're we're still to be under the Mosaic law. That's why they were imposing circumcision on the Gentiles. Circumcision is a right that the Jews had, which is to to join. Every Jew had to be circumcised. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This was part of Jewish law. Every male had to be circumcised. And, and this is your entrance into Israel. If You, you can't be an Israel, a, a true Israelite, if you were not circumcised. That was the way. And if people wanted to convert to Judaism as adult males, they would have to be circumcised. It's a horrible thought, I know. Let's not think about it too much. <laughs> Let's move on. But... That was how it was, and the Jews were not acting on some whim that they thought, "Oh, if you're going to join us, no." It was a long-standing tradition, and that was a true tradition because God did require circumcision for Jews. That was one of the rites of of becoming a Jew. Become being part of Israel, it was one of the rights that were was necessary to be circumcised. That's so how you join right in the Judaism. If you were going to be a proselyte or a convert to Judaism. You would have to be circumcised as a male. That's the deal. It was tough, but that was the deal. So, let's get back to our notes. There's more. Alright, so... We already saw what role, and that role they were playing undermines the father's plan, which was brand new at the time. And yet they refused to adhere to it. Right? They they would not drop the mosaic law. Point F. If they knew better, and we know we are saying they knew better, why would they play this role? Why would they do that? Right? These are Peter's. We're talking about leadership. Le- and they sent leaders people of note to to Antioch to help explain. We already read that in Acts. Well, they sent these leaders to Antioch to help guide the Gentile believers. They also, Paul and Barnabas were already there and they taught. We read this all in Acts chapter 15. So we won't rehearse it again, but the thought is that those in Antioch had sufficient Uh, understanding about what the new way was. It was reinforced by Paul and Barnabas who stayed there, even after those ones that the Jewish council sent left. Paul and Barnabas stayed on and continued teaching the believers there. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul is noting, here's an example of what happened. Paul had to deal with it. He couldn't just sweep it under the rug to protect Peter's reputation he had to deal with it and he did so point F as we said they knew better why would he play this role is because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group look at verse 12 for certain men came from James he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group so we don't have to ask why did he do it The scripture tells us he was afraid he had more respect for their poisonous culture because it was poisonous because it was human viewpoint looking at the mosaic law they did not have the spirit they rejected the spirit he had more respect for that than he did for what the holy spirit showed him demonstrated to him No uncertain terms. It was he was equivocating. Even though he knew what was right, he caved into his traditional norms and standards. That's why he did it. And I, I have to wonder, we should as we think about why do we have so much respect for these religious people, we should not. We should have respect for the father's plan. When we look at Jesus, here's a good example. When we look at Jesus, people look, try to paint Jesus. Oh, he's just somebody telling, oh, don't worry about your enemies. Don't, don't walk around very humble and meek and this and that. And you'll be unassuming. Don't let people walk all over you. That's not Jesus. Jesus was meek and humble to the Father. But to everybody else, He he wasn't just, oh, I'm you know, you just I'm just like a dish rag. You can just walk all over me. That's not Jesus. His meek he was meek and humble with respect to the Father. Not necessarily. He taught the truth to everybody else. That's why they hated him. He said things, he called them hypocrites, he called them out. He wasn't afraid of them. Meek and humble does not mean you're afraid of religious people. Religious people, we see where they're operating from. Jesus called it. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And his works you're doing now, he did them from the beginning, and you are following in his footsteps. They said, no, we have Abraham as our father. No, God is our father. Jesus said, no, your father is the devil. That's meek? That's humble? No. But when it came to meek and humble, he's meek and humble toward the Father. That's where he was. I, I, do every, I do exactly as the Father has commanded. I love the Father. That's where the humility came in. That's why he was humble. So when it came, so this is, I'm only saying this to say that we should have humility, meekness toward the Father's plan. Not toward religious people now I'm not saying we should be mean and angry and surly to religious people no I'm saying we need to tell them the truth because that's why we're here to tell the truth not to sugarcoat it, not to uh, hide it, not to sweep it under the rug not to ignore it to tell the truth that God has given us where else are they going to get it in the world? They're not going to get it from anybody or any place in the world. So we got to tell it. So there, there this is point. Uh, this is point G. We must be careful to have humility towards God and not the religious crowd. They are all around us spreading their poisonous influence. I want to read Titus one five through sixteen in this regard. Titus one. 5 through 16. Let's look at it. So, the reason, here's, Paul is in, he's going to give us an understanding, and I want you to pay careful attention to this passage. The reason I left you in Crete, he's talking to Titus, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And he gives some qualifications for the elders that he wants to appoint. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, (laughs) respectable, right? Since an overseer manages God's household, who's an overseer? An overseer is an elder, same one, he's, he's he's not talking about somebody else, he's talking about an overseer. An overseer manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not for showing dishonest gain. And these are all qualifications. Verse 8, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good and self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Right? That makes sense. Verse 9, he must hold firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So more than all of the, that behavior, he got to do this. He must hold firmly to trust. That's why he's an elder, because he's got to teach the message, the trustworthy message that he's been taught, as it has been taught, and encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So notice, not a doormat. Refute those who oppose it. Verse 10, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. (laughs) Get this. We could say there are many today, right? Same way. But, But get this. Especially those of the circumcision group. Who's the circumcision group? The Jews. Just want to make sure we get this. And Paul is saying, go out and establish churches and here's what you need to leave behind. The, and be careful about these people of the circumcision group. You, you need to leave them out. Don't don't follow their pernicious ways. Right? They they talk of deception, and he's saying especially those of the circumcision group. We got to be careful about them. And this is important. So hold on a sec. I've got to pause just one moment. resuming so this, I, I, this verse and there are, this is not the only verse that warns of Jewish te- we just saw Jewish customs in the context of where we were so this is not the, and there are other verses that warn us about following Jewish customs now look the Jewish customs were skewed they were poisonous because they were following based on their sin nature what, the Mosaic, what they saw the Mosaic Law to be they distorted the Mosaic Law And they were trying to teach these ways to Gentile converts. Now, of course, in the church, they're not Gentile converts at all. They are, it's a new age. There's no Jew or Gentile in the church. But yet they were trying to make the distinction that there was. Terrible to think about it that way, but there it is. If there was any way to say we're not under the Mosaic law, If anybody was going to say that here, he's he's warning those who are overseers for these churches that are going to be established in this area, Crete, that they are to watch out for these people. Especially, in other words, if you take a note on this, please. Especially those of the circumcision group. What does he say? They must... Be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, there's a whole other side of their teaching and their power that they had over the people, and it's about money as well. They abused. Paul had to fight with the Corinthians, and it was all about how he called them super apostles. He he joked because the Corinthians gave respect to them. Listened to them. And they did it for dis... They were robbing the Corinthians. And then they tried to accuse Paul of the same thing. Wrong. So they were, he said, they must be silenced. Don't let this poisonous influence into your church. Is what he's telling these elders. So one of the Cretans' own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Why would they need to be rebuked? Are these believers or unbelievers? These are believers. Having You don't rebuke unbelievers. You, you, you're rebuking people who believe. So this is why people think, oh, the Judaizers, why well, are they believers or unbelievers? I don't know. Well, the things they're saying... Are things that you would think of an unbeliever. So that's why it's hard to distinguish. You got a lot of people walking around today, they say they're Christians, they're professing Christ, but at the same time, they're saying things that make you think, hmm, I wonder, do they believe in Christ with the things they're teaching? Do they really believe in Christ? It's confusing. But isn't that what Satan tries to sow? Confusion? Isn't that the point? That's the enemy at work. If we're Christians, we should be saying the same thing with, with respect to the gospel, with respect to grace, how we walked in the door. Peter knew it, but he caved into hypocrisy. So it's, can we distinguish it? No, we can't sort this out. We, we got to let God do it. He's going to sort it out. He's going to be able to tell us who is a believer and who's not. And he'll do that when the rapture comes. And if you're still left here, I guess you'll know. Cuz we you won't be caught up to meet him in the air. Yeah. Or you know, you'll definitely know. Verse 14. Pay no, and look at this, verse he says it again, and pay no attention to what? He calls out Jewish myths. This is Paul, who was a Pharisee. Or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. This is, I, I just the reason I quote this passage in Titus is to help us understand how the apostle Paul looked upon this type of behavior and Jewish influence in the church. For some reason, the church today has adopted the Jews as like some hierarchy of authority in the church. Like they, if anybody knows what true worship is, it's going to be the Jewish Christians, which is really a misnomer. There is no Jewish Christian. We got it. There is no Jew in Christ. There is no slave or free in Christ. We're all one in Christ. But yet, whenever churches meet and you, you don't hear these warnings watch out stay away from jewish customs and traditions and the most law none of that is about the church right what you hear every church not every church but a lot of churches i've listened to open your bibles to leviticus open your bibles to the old testament here there and everywhere and they try to teach antidotes from stories and all kinds of, oh, let me show you what David did and Jonathan did, and let me show you what Abinadab did, and, and this one, or that one, Ezekiel, he said this, and this is what we should be doing. Let me show you how Nehemiah built a wall and how we got to fight. Yeah, All their antidotes from stories and analogies are in the Old Testament. You they, By the time they finish with you, you, you're trying to be a good Israelite, not somebody in the church. So it's sad to think, but that influence is spread into the church today so that people think, oh yeah, we're under, some people are even thinking they're under the Mosaic Law. Well, yeah, well, we got, we don't have to sacrifice animals. Christ is the sacrifice. However, we got to do everything else the Mosaic Law said. We've got to, the dietary, law, on and on, it goes on and on of one group Takes these verses, another group takes other verses, and they pick and choose what they want to obey and not obey. It's a mess. And you saw what Paul's instruction was. You saw what happened to Peter. You saw the book of Galatians. So there is no reason why we should be having some deference to to the circumcision group, and it's okay if a person's a Jew. We would hope that he understands that he can't bring his culture, his traditions to, uh, to the church. Just like Gentiles should understand that they cannot bring their culture and traditions to the church. We can have it. We can enjoy our own traditions. Let's say if a Jew doesn't eat pork, doesn't mean he just starts eating pork because he's in the church. He can continue not to eat pork. It's his call. But he should know the truth of the matter is that he can if he wants to. Nothing is unclean of itself, Paul said. All things can be received with thanksgiving. So, As long as he understands that, he can still have the preference to not eat pork. Main thing here is to understand the truth. And you can make your decisions of how you want to live according to it. You don't judge people because they do or don't do a certain thing. Now I'm using one little example of what to eat, but there are so many other examples that people use and judge people according to. Let's keep going. So that was, that's uh, point H now. Even Barnabas was led astray, even Barnabas. So religious training runs deep in the Jewish culture. It does. Practicing their Jewish customs was like home to them. So. Listen, just like your culture runs deep with you, Jewish culture runs deep with them. I mean, you could play a certain song or music or whatever, and it would it would engender in you certain emotions and feelings because of the culture you were raised in. There are certain things that trigger that, right? Some, for some people, it's a flag or something that they were devoted to, or maybe they were in the in the military or whatever it is but all of that is taught by culture all of that is part of what adam brought to the world and people have made decisions nationalism and different things but god is saying here that we have to rise above worshiping god according to our culture i'm saying jewish custom here practicing jewish custom is the issue here but I'm also expanding it. Look at, let's look at Acts 4.36. Let's, let's read some of the scripture around this. I think we can make it. Acts 4.36 says, Okay, so this is even Barnabas, right? We we're talking about Barnabas led astray. Just giving a little history about who Barnabas was. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, He's a Levite now, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's what the name means. A lot of the, the apostles got different names. They took different names. You saw Saul was one, and now he's Paul. He was, there's a lot of other ones who they, call, they, they had this, but they called them that. That was the name. So So it is Joseph, who was a Levite. That's the priest, the tribe of the priesthood. We're not saying he was a priest, but he was a Levite. And this is what he did. He sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Talk about dedication to this new uh, age and the new entity that God is constructing. That is the church, Joseph, or as we now know him as Barnabas. Sold all he owned and bought them and and brought the money to the apostles' feet. Now, we remember some other people who did that, Ananias of Sapphira, and they held back the money. But what were they trying to do? Get notoriety in the church, right? Get a position, we have some authority, power, right? But wrong, that was wrong. But I'm just giving you even Barnabas. So we see Barnabas has had. Religious training, he was a Levite, he was a Jewish person, he was devoted to to the Jewish customs, and and that felt like home to him, and that authority felt, uh, uh, he felt as someone who was uh, devoted to that culture, even Barnabas, it says. So let's keep going with some more of this thought. Just as, point I, just as Peter knew better, so did Barnabas. So, uh, and we say the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. They did the same thing Peter did. Even though Barnabas should, (laughs) he was hanging out with Paul for a long time, he should have known better, you would have thought. But look at the influence of that Jewish culture on Barnabas. Acts 15, 2. Let's look at some of these. We're already in Acts. Just go to 15. Look at 2. <clears throat> so this, so cert, well, I'll read one. Certain people came down from Antioch, from Judea to Antioch, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. But Notice verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Barnabas, uh, here here it is. So Barnabas and Paul were appointed along with the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So notice, Barnabas was right there in the thick of it. He knew, look at verse 35 of Acts. 35 says, but Paul and Barnabas remained even after they sent delegates to Antioch who were Jewish, to teach about the Gentiles and how they were to orient to this new body, right? They would be grace. But but look at verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. They continued to teach grace. Verse 36, sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the other towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John. This is where they had a dispute between John and Mark. But but Paul did not think it was wise, and so they had a sharp disagreement, but they parted. So uh, Barnabas went with Mark, and they sailed for Cyprus. So you know what you could see already, that the sharp dispute wasn't about the law or Moses. It was about this guy who failed Paul, and Paul didn't trust him. So, but they had dissension in the early church. Yes, they did. Don't, don't think they didn't. But notice, Barnabas was integrated into grace. He was hanging with Paul. He was there. How many times, if you go back and read Paul and Barnabas, you know, my God, in Acts, there's much information about Paul and Barnabas, and it was all positive, until... We heard this story about Barnabas. Well, you could judge whether the one about Mark and they fell in the show. You could judge what you want about that. But this story is about doctrine. So even Barnabas was led astray. And just as Peter knew better, so did Barnabas. So that's what we find. Point J led astray. Barnabas made the same mistake as Peter. He allowed his fear to overcome his love for the truth. May I say, we have all been there. We are afraid often. We have to develop the courage of the Spirit, the love, so that we don't even see the opposition. We focus on what motivates us, that love. Yeah, they're out there, but the motivation inside of us are strong, is stronger than their opposition. So, point J. Okay, actually. We are not given this story to create villains and heroes. Just think about it. We're not trying to say, oh, we're only for Paul, not Peter. No, because we find they were all on the same page. It, it took some growth. The early church had to sort some things out. And I'm so glad these things are sorted out so that these questions are answered for us unequivocally today. We have the answers. We know which way the church should go. Let's remember who our true enemy is and what battleground, what the battleground is. That's what we got to remember, what's really at stake here. I'm going to read Ephesians six, twelve, and 13. A couple of scriptures, and we're on to close today. Ephesians six, twelve and thirteen says, for our struggle is not about against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that we're not when we talk about we're fighting demons. Six where is where we were. Is, we're not literally doing combat with demons like, uh, you know, here, like Hollywood tells us. Our combat with demons is in the realm of the doctrines of demons, the pernicious stories and ways that they are influencing the church and people's minds. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. To follow up on that, 1 Timothy 4 1 and 2, Paul says, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will defart, de- depart or abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Listen, things taught by demons. The Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is telling us and warning Paul and now us. That this is possible when they depart from the faith it doesn't mean that they don't they're not believers anymore it just says that they don't follow sound doctrine well we found that in galatians where we were reading paul said we didn't give in to them for a minute that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you verse 2 such teachings come through hypocritical liars look They know better, but they have caved into the influence of these people whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They are set in their ways. They are determined to destroy the church because they believe in the Mosaic law. Yeah. And it goes on to tell some other things about them. Right? Uh, So, notice, Paul says they forbid to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who... Believe and know the truth. For everything God creates is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it, is to be re- if it is received by thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. So, look, it's the doctrines of demons. When we talk about getting into spiritual warfare, that's where it is it's that fight. But the, now, how do you know enough to be able to contend with demons? How could you possibly know enough? You, me, how could we do it? we got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And once we are transformed, we have to develop a love for the truth so that we are willing to go out and talk about these things openly, not afraid of those who may say things about us, not worried about those who are against us, so we know what the battleground is, this world. We know what we are to stand for. We know we're in a fight. So we can see that there are pawns of people who are in this world who believe these doctrines of demons. That's where the fight is for us. It's not running around with holy water and trying to cast out demons and stuff. That's that's Hollywood. It is This is really where the battle is. And people are making decisions for their eternal state based on the the influence of these false teachers. We have to watch and be aware and not allow these things to happen. I'm going to stop here. We've got much more to say about this subject and we'll come back next week and talk about that and more detail. Um, but we've run out of time. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll come back next week and continue this subject. Thank you, Father, for the time we've had and for those who have given us their time and attention. These are such important matters as we think about our destiny here in the world, and what what we can accomplish, what are our goals. We thank you for those who have come and. Father, we pray that we will be challenged to have the courage, the love, to live these things, and to submit ourselves to the transformation of mind so that we can be equipped for every good work in this world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Amen.